This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows. This week, Threshold, episodes three and four. Whatever he's on makes PCP look like baby aspirin. Do we know where he went? He was found in a storeroom with his head imploded. The bystander that called 911, she said his face was deformed. She didn't say, but watch this on slow speed. The fractal pattern. The alien's calling card. We found ourselves another crew member. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast best listened to from the fifth dimension. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? When you said it's episodes three and four, I couldn't believe that it's only been four episodes. It feels like maybe 65 episodes. <laughs> While I'm watching it, I check it and I go, oh, it's been two minutes. Oh, it's been another two minutes. Another two minutes. Is it almost over? No, no, it's not, it's not even close. So much is happening. It's just flying by. You have to check. You're like, whoa, so much has happened in that two minutes. <laughs> There's another scene where people are talking about something that they'll repeat two scenes later. <laughs> well, as long as we're talking about Threshold and the creative behind it, you wanna you wanna hear a little bit about the creative team that put this show together? Because people need to know the masterminds between this masterpiece. Well, it is actually weirdly the like three kind of I think lead producers on it are like pretty prolific. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's start with the creator first. Actually, this guy named uh, uh, Bragi F. Shoot. Mm-hmm. He uh, he is actually probably the least least of the producers. Not to say he's the least of these people. I'm sure he's a very nice person. Uh, but Threshold is actually his first credit. How did he just get a show? I, it's a very good question. I couldn't really dig up much information on him because this is his first credit, Threshold. So he got a series off the ground. I assume not from scratch. I'm sure he'd been working at doing stuff for years. But like he really had very few, very few or no credits up till then. And then, you know, yeah, more recently, he, like, co-wrote that uh, Escape Room film from last year. Mm-hmm. He's working on Escape Room 2. And then he'd done, uh, I don't know if I've seen this movie. I feel like maybe I did, but maybe I'm thinking of a different movie that was almost the same. But he did a Nicolas Cage uh, medieval action movie called Season of the Witch. I think it's it's in the <laughs> uh, latter, latter half of Nicolas Cage's career where uh, all bets are off. It was from a period of time where I think there were a few just like medieval night movies that had like some action star in them. And I just, I'm not sure if this was one of the ones I saw or if it was just one of the other ones of that ilk. I'm not sure. Did you see that he's written and produced three different Ninjago series? Yeah, that's kind of, I think, become his bread and butter of recently. The kind of Nintendo or Nintendo Lego Ninja series. Good for him. But what a weird uh, path to have created, huh? I mean, it's you never know where this crazy world's going to take you, Jordan. You never I suppose, know. I suppose. Would you ever thought you'd be talking about Threshold 96 episodes into this podcast? <laughs> no, I didn't think. I also did think I'd be talking about Threshold 50 years after it aired. <laughs> it's a crazy world, Jordan. Yeah, it is. Um, let's get into the, some of the producers, though, because these guys have a little more of a uh, pedigree behind them in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, 
Brandon Brega. Okay. Do you do you know who that is? No, I don't. Because I uh, we had talked just before we started recording, and I've looked at some of the writers, and there's some you know some you'll see some similarities, but I, I didn't see him come up as one of the writers. So I guess he's just a producer on this. Well, he's he's credited in some sources as a co-creator of Threshold, so I would wonder if maybe he came on and did some tweaks to it and got it ready. But he'll be uh, most recognized for his work on Star Trek to our listeners. Hmm. He uh, started off as an intern on TNG before eventually becoming like a writer and executive producer. He show ran Voyager for two seasons. He created Enterprise with Rick Berman and... Uh, he kind of was in that like late stage Star Trek period when uh, Voyager and Enterprise were happening as, as sort of unraveled before coming back recently. Mm-hmm. So this I think this was kind of like a transitionary show. So I think a lot of the crew and probably writing room kind of came out of that world. Right. Next up on the producer list, David S. Goyer. Does that name ring any bells? I was going to say famous. I don't want to say hack writer, but like he's written a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of our, I would call him our premier comic book movie writer. Yeah, isn't it funny? Uh, I was talking to Laura about that earlier. He's sort of, you know, for good or bad, and just, it's a longer conversation. He really has become the go-to guy if there's a comic book that needs to be created. As if there's only one person who could possibly get a comic book off the ground. But if there is someone, it's David Goyer. Yeah, he, he wrote Blade. He wrote uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, wrote Ghost Rider, wrote... Um... Man Batman of Steel. vs. Superman wrote Man of Steel. Yeah. And one episode of Freaky Links. I was going to say, he's a fa- he's famous to us for his work <laughs> on Freaky Links. Which, do you remember, did we watch the episode that he did? He was actually a co-creator on it. They brought him in to work with the with the guys, and it was sort of like a joint thing. And they all kind of ended up, I think, falling off like as the show went into production. Right, right. Um, and then finally, uh, this third producer, his name may not be as much of a household name, uh, David Heyman. Hmm. But... You will definitely know him from his work. He is uh, best known as the producer who secured the film rights to the Harry Potter series. Okay. I've never seen any of those, but sure. Yeah, well, you can imagine. He made a lot of money. <laughs> he made a lot of money, yes. I'm, I'm sure he's done very well. He's, he's not driving uh, the same car I am, uh, a 2007 Hyundai Elantra. And then this year alone, he uh, produced Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Marriage Story both oscar nominees he's done very well for himself good for him he definitely has is a guy who certainly has an eye for talent uh, he's like he worked with he worked on gravity with uh, what's his name alfonso um ah, i forget his Cor- last corazon name. is that he pronounced his last name yes yes um so yeah like he's like you know we've kind of got a tv sci-fi showrunner from the star trek universe we've got the comic book writer from like these big tentpole movies and then we've kind of got like on our tour filmmaker producer who's working on like some of the biggest projects and almost Oscar nominated ones of the year. This is a wild group of people to be working on a project by a guy who has no credits at this point. You might've just answered the question for that, right? It might've been someone pitched this show. They liked it, but it was like, you're going to make the show, but we're loading all these other people on to make sure this thing doesn't sink. hundred percent. Whether it worked or not uh, up for debate. Yeah, well, I mean, it only had one season, so it didn't, really. It's 2020. We're in the 15th season of Threshold. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, Jordan, what do you say we get into this week's episodes? Yeah, let's do, uh, what's episode three? Blood of the Children. Yes, here's the IMDb summary for episode three, Blood of the Children. An incident at a fast food restaurant leads the Threshold team to a military academy and the discovery that the infection has spread beyond the original Bighorn crew. And that was summary was courtesy of A. 
Anonymous. <laughs> That's my favorite person so far, I think. Yep, uh, that is actually someone who said their name is A.Anonymous. So I said, all right, I guess that's where we're going with. What do you think the A stands for? Uh, Adam. Adam. Adam Anonymous. Yeah. Adam Anonymous. I mean, that could be a character in one of the shows. <laughs> it could be, We yeah. watch. Starts off on a big cold open where we're in uh, Danville, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a dude in a fast food restroom staring into a mirror, and he appears to uh, pop a giant bowl, a boil on his neck. Doesn't his whole head explode? yeah ultimately that's kind of what we learned is like i mean i guess you kind of see it but like all i really saw was some dude looking in a mirror writhing around in pain and then just like this huge splash of like goo hits the wind the mirror yeah that's all they give you for that they're like all right guys you've been teased enough let's get back to the show let's slow things down a little bit the uh the red team at threshold command center are they're watching security footage from the fast food restaurant where this dude's freaking out smashing things I think at one point they say he looks like whatever he's on makes PCP look like baby aspirin. They're really they're really like trying to figure out who this guy is and whether he may be one of the sailors from the ship. Right. I noticed watching this and maybe it's just because I'm now can't help but watch for all these uh, tropes that I never noticed before. This is like Gemini Man, where every episode starts with them watching a videotape of footage. (laughs) Like this is like a more competently like shoved in there but still it's just like let's all gather around the monitor and watch this videotape until you you mentioned that i didn't notice it but you're right it is it is a similar way of opening of just going hey here's an easy way to get them all on board they just watch video just watch a video what's better than watching a video you want to hear a report or watch a video <laughs> exactly i did enjoy the video in that the security camera footage just shows a man throwing fast food workers like just just tossing them around like a wrestling ring i was kind of hoping though the footage would be a different angle of that head exploding yeah, I also hope we get to see more of that head exploding. We only later get to see him and his face is all kind of like grossly, grotesquely mutated, but we never get to see it pop again. And that's what the fans want. They want to see a head pop. I mean, that's what I'm there for. So I'm going to mention this now and we, we're not going to get into it, but there's this like sequence right at the top where they get into Dr. Caffrey and these elevated theta waves she has where she has, you know, the dreams about the crystal forest. But this time she, like, dreams about a kid in a hoodie and a plastic mask helping her open a door. Mm -hmm. And it becomes this thing where they're, like, they come up with some theory that, like, maybe the alien infected aren't coming to visit them, but they're being forced into their dreams or something. Yeah. There's some weird Freddy Krueger logic going on that I couldn't quite wrap my head around, and they never really got into. They kind of, like, said something, and I'm like... But they never committed to what was true. And I was like, what are you trying to tell me about these dreams? I'm not sure if it's that they're just evolving their original idea of how dreams are connected or if they're just sort of retconning it as they go. But you're right. There's this connection they want to have between the aliens, this biological modification they're doing to people and dreams. But it's now also being used as sort of a narrative device of having people be told things in a very vague way so they can figure out this mystery as they go like the aliens are like we're trying to tell you something or maybe not yeah they seem like they don't want to commit just in case they want to backtrack later (laughs) yeah but i mean it's also early enough in the show that like you can go it's a bunch of things and that's why people you know because they they do drop a line that people are reacting different ways to things so they're they're leaving that little uh, uh little escape hatch if they need it it is true though it does it does lead to a bizarre scene where 
Dr. Caffrey wakes up from this scary dream she's having with this boy in the plastic mask. And now she happens to wake up in the car outside the fast food restaurant they were ta- they were headed to. And she's there with Dr. Fenway. And she, she tells him all about the dream she's had. And uh, Dr. did you catch what Dr. Fenway says to her after she tells him about the dream? No, no. What did he say? Because she's like, uh, this like teenage boy appeared in my dream. And he's just like, uh, could be aliens. Could just chalk that up to your biological clock. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. There's this, And this show has... I'm sure you wrote down more. Every every few scenes, someone drops a weird line in like that, and I'm not sure how I'm supposed to take it. Is it supposed to be funny? Is it supposed to be kind of subversive? Is it supposed to be edgy? I'm not sure, but there there's a few of those that are kind of dropped in, and it feels like they're they're placed in after the fact. It's so weird too, because like obviously we're looking back at this 15 years later, but I'm just like. This is your boss, who's the only woman around, and you guys constantly talk down to her, like, very, very genderedly. It's always so weird. We should start keeping a list. We've now had, we've had someone mention to her that she's just, she's just, uh, it's her biological clock ticking, and also someone has already smelt her underwear. Yeah, I was like, I'm like, you should just fire, you're the boss, fire these people, they're monsters. But they're on the way, as you mentioned, to this, was it a diner or a coffee shop? Oh, you didn't catch the name of the fast food restaurant where this all happened? No, what was it? It's uh, Jack's Chili Factory and Sandwiches. <laughs> I did. I didn't do that. That that like that almost gets the show a point just for that. Uh, would you Would you go to a place called Jack's Chili Factory and Sandwiches? In normal life, no. But if I was on vacation, and I saw that. I'd say pull the car over immediately. We got to try that chili. <laughs> All right. I, well, then I think that that's a good sign for it. Yeah. Anyway, at the at the fast food restaurant, they kind of they get to check out this body. They discover it's kind of not one of the sailors. It's 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 a uh, so it's not one of these guys they've been hunting. It turns out it's a janitor from a local military yeah, academy. His name's Jerry, Jerry the janitor. Yeah, <laughs> I I I had a good laugh at his crazy deformed face, and uh, essentially they're like, all right, we got to go to this academy and see why this guy, you know, mutated. Can I mention one thing real quick though? My favorite thing of the show. And it has nothing to do with the episode is they go into this uh, essentially crime scene to see where this guy's attacked people and there's blood and blah, blah, blah. And they go in and they talk to some people and they leave. And I don't know if you've noticed when they leave, Caffrey has a coffee. So she went in. <laughs> they, I just I just love <laughs> that they went into a crime scene to talk about like this violent incident. And she stopped and got a coffee on the way out. I love it. That's my favorite thing in the show so far. I'll say this too, Kavanaugh, when I when he shows up the first time in the episode, he still has a black eye from getting the shit kicked out of him twice in two episodes. <laughs> and I I don't know why that tickled me. I just I don't like that character so much. I just want him to look like he's been like beat up every time. I don't know if it's just because you've told me so many times, but I also now hate him so much just because he is the most bland, boring character a team could ever have. And he also, I think you mentioned previously, there's no reason for him 90% of the time. Oh, he, he's, he's doing, he's absolutely doing nothing. <laughs> there are scenes, and this is taking us off topic, but there are scenes later on where all he really should be doing is standing outside a door, protecting the real people in the team on the inside. But he's like joining in conversation and stuff. I'd be like, hey, military boy, take your little earpiece and just get out of here. <laughs> You're not adding anything to this conversation. Yeah. Anyway. They're going to go to this, uh, so they're going to go to this military academy. And as they're about to leave for it, Here's what Kavanaugh does. He goes to Dr. Caffrey and she's a, is like, well, here's your cover identity for your investigation of the military academy. You're now a federal marshal. Yeah. And I was like, why do you need... I, just, I couldn't understand why they needed cover identities. Well, I actually think this is going to be a thing we're going to see in every episode. 
I have a feeling that they are going to pretend to be a different agency of some sort every time, depending on what they need. And But you're right. Like, I think it's supposed to be like, this government agency is so secretive and so powerful, they can do anything they want. But the weird thing is like, if they can do that, they don't need to pretend to be someone. But I have a feeling you're going to see that. You're going to be like, they're firefighters in the next one. That's what I thought too. I was just like, you you guys are an, like, you guys literally have all the resources you need. Just show up. They No one can say anything. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, they need to drop that line in. So it's something to look for in future episodes to see if they uh, pretend to be uh, astronauts or something. That's true. So they, they head off to the Wayland Military Academy, which is conveniently having a leave weekend so there are only 32 people present on campus and uh they begin to do like interviews with the kids and to test their blood and like all the kids are kind of between 10 and 16 years old Mm -hmm. but before we get too much into the academy i want to i want to jump back to threshold command because i want to because they're going to give jt ramsey and lucas their own little b plot yeah and what a b plot it is they're, they're basically tasked with just like, if the janitor wasn't a sailor, how does someone get infected by the signal if they weren't on the ship? Didn't it feel like, though, this was a writer who didn't know what to do with all of the characters? I mean, I was also just like, yeah, like they're clearly like going to parse aside three of them because they don't know what to do with them. But as I was also just kind of like, you know, those first two episodes are basically an extended pilot. You're, you know, so you're on episode three, arguably episode two, maybe. Like, why have we left the sailors? Like, why are you already inventing reasons why the signal has escaped? They want that as this this undercurrent for the for the show as this this continuity. But they want to now have this uh, equivalent of monster of the week. I, I should mention one thing, though. Ramsey's character even sort of calls attention to that. They don't really have anything to do. Is this this when him and uh, uh, JT sort of have like a little bit of an argument about like, he's like, what are we doing here? Yeah, it's like, you're going to you're going to be these B plot characters. Yeah, well, JT kind of tell, makes them start looking over flight tracking data to see if there's a plane they missed that happened to fly over the signal as was happening or something. And yet Ramsey's just like, why are, like, I'm a, I'm a trained mathematician and linguist. Can't we just, like, hire some assistants to look over this, like, train tracking data? And JT gives this big speech about how we can't risk other people finding about aliens, so we have to do all the grunt work ourselves. It's just like only six people can ever know about this, so we can't have any assistance. It just felt like someone's like, we can't afford more people, so uh, you have to do more work. I, it was it, Maybe that's what it was. So I was just like, this is crazy in that you could just have an intern come in and be like, hey, can you see if uh, any planes flew over this area? You don't have to tell them about aliens. Like, there's, this is, It was such a weird argument. Also, I thought JT... Uh, was way more over the top than you would think for like a very innocent question he was like like really giving it but i think it's just the actor being like this is terrible dialogue let me make this exciting i think they established last episode that jt hates ramsey remember he didn't bring that coffee for him oh that's right well that's all it will take (laughs) anyway they they track down the plane that flew over the over the ship they get its black box and they discover the janitor wasn't on the flight so they uh they bring in the pilot who was flying that plane to sort of interview him about, did anything strange happen on that flight? Right. And uh, this is where Ramsey's linguist skills, I guess, come in handy. This is definitely going to come up, isn't it? He knows that when people lie. <laughs> it was so funny because, again, I I don't know if it, his character quite has gelled into anything yet or really any of theirs. But yeah, it's like this interrogation thing where he kind of stands off to the side and asks somewhat cryptic questions because you realize... He's got an edge because he knows linguistics, I suppose. Yeah, the, guy, the guy's talking a little too much in his uh, 
home home state's accent so he must be lying yeah and that's that's basically what it is he uh you know says y'all or something and he's like he's lying and they're like he is lying and i thought wow what an exciting scene well they the black box does have the alien spiral symbol on it so they know they definitely passed over something so they they come back and uh force the pilot to give a blood test to see if you know he's been infected by the alien signal and is like got that triple dna helix but as they're doing it the uh the pilot confesses to what really happened on the flight yeah what was it he just uh uh he was he would been drinking was that what it was yeah him and his co-pilot were drunk (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's like yeah okay i can see why you lied well, and he's like begging them as they're giving the blood test. He's just like, I only have three years left till retirement. And JT's just like, not anymore. That's that. Then I mean, that kind of wraps up the plot. They find out that like the pilot's not infected. There's nothing to do on that flight. But the the little piece I did like at the, the, the kind of denouement to that B plot is uh, they're, they're looking over his blood after they've caught him just to make sure he's definitely not infected. And they're like, no, he's definitely not infected. Uh, but he is actually currently drunk in that interview we gave. <laughs> that's a fun character i i did like this drunk pilot who's just like wandering through this episode yeah but that that wraps up those three characters just write them off they don't got anything else to do you're right it's it's just their kind of kill time because they don't really learn anything but it doesn't matter because the main people you got caffrey the brains and uh kavanaugh the bronze and you know that's where where that's where things are going don't forget all uh dr fenway Oh, that's right. He's there too for some reason. <laughs> I it's it's okay if you forget because I think they forgot he was there for a bit too. <laughs> yeah, it's just he just keeps disappearing in scenes. He's just wandering off to the craft table. But uh, essentially, they've uh, they've blo- they've tried to blood test all the students, but one of the students is missing, a, a kid named Jordan Peter, mm-hmm. and they're a little worried of like, oh, maybe he's our maybe he has something to do with the signal thing. So they're trying to track him down, and uh, the I guess the. The principal of the academy, the the commanding officer of the academy, he goes he goes off to find him in the dorms. But as he's doing that, he uh, he sees the boy from uh, uh, Doctor Caffrey's dream, the one in the plastic mask and the hoodie, trying to uh, trying to use a computer in the library. And then he's like, "Hey, stop it, kid!" And the kid sort of turns around and grabs him by the face and like squishes his eyeballs. Yeah, he seems to crush his head with his bare hands. Yeah, and you're thinking, huh? He should have just left him on the on the computer. Just let, just let him send that email. He's probably fine. Yeah. So that that's that for that commander. Commander's dead. And uh, uh, another student drops by on Dr. Caffrey to kind of be like, uh, excuse me, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, Jordan Peters is missing. And uh, so is our, the commanding officer. And uh, old Dr. Caffrey's like, yeah, I know. She seems very nonplussed by the information. <laughs> and can I just say something weird, really that's just, it's going to drive me crazy for the whole show. This entire episode all of our characters wear black and the school, even though I know it's like off season or whatever they have, like as leave, there's almost no lights on ever. So you have characters wearing black in dark scenes, walking around talking about nothing. And it's just the perfect antidote for falling asleep. If you're watching it. <laughs> uh, well, this student, uh, his name is Brian uh, Janklo. Good name. Yeah. Is he, he's the Southern kid, right? He's a Southern kid who, when we first meet him, he uh, tells them all how he's so excited to be in Military Academy because he cannot wait to fight terrorists. <laughs> That's why you joined the military, right? I just I had to fight them terrorists. <laughs> Only foreign. There are no domestic, though. We let them run wild. Oh, Luke, this is not our political uh, political podcast. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always sneaking them in there, Jordan. I'm always sneaking <laughs> those politics in there. 
<laughs> anyway, old Janklo says, well, uh, if you already know about those things, well, I have something you might not know about. Well, I was in the library a little while ago, and I happened to notice all these books on the ground in the shape of a strange spiral. Mm-hmm. Might you be interested in that, Dr. Caffrey? This kid's acting creepy, so you know he's a, there's something bad about this kid. But what we learn very quickly, and we'll, we'll go through it, is that he is bad, yes, and he's, and he's part of the aliens in some sort. But, like, do the aliens know that they're investigating the aliens and that they've already discovered that the pattern has something to do with said aliens? I have no idea. Do you know what I mean? Because in this scene, it seems like they do. They go, oh, we know that they're researching us and they know there's something special about this pattern. So I'm going to use that as a trick to get her in. Sorry, as a trap. I am not sure. I know what you're saying. I, I don't think they've clarified, like, is there a hive mind? Are these all just like individual free agents? That certainly has not been clarified. Yeah. But certainly this is a trap Janklo setting up because they, they go to the library and she's like, where did you see the books? And he like sticks his arm out and points it. He's like over there. And when he sticks his arm out, his like entire forearm is just drenched in blood. Yeah. yeah. He's bleeding. And, she, and I like that, that she gives like a little bit of a like side eye to him. Like, that's different. I think he might be a bad guy. It's like, yeah, yeah. His arm is pouring in blood for some reason. I don't even remember why. Because he crushed that guy's head. Oh, was, see, I thought it was a different kid that crushed his head. So hold on. He cr- he crushed the commander's head and then just left it all over the blood all over. Didn't wash his hands at all. <laughs> I just, I thought it was an injury from something else. I thought maybe, I don't know, he cut it on a razor or something. I thought it was very funny because obviously we know pretty quickly like eh, this Janklo kid seems a little suspicious. They don't spend any time building any mystery there. Like he just sticks at his arm. It's just drenched in blood. Yeah. But because obviously Dr. Caffrey's just like, that's weird. That's a lot of blood. She uh, proceeds to to pick up a very large book and hit him in the head with it. Yeah. She clocks him and runs and then runs in sort of into the library, like down the hallway. And then she sees like a just a bunch of scary zombie students all sort of standing there. I wrote it down as she bumps into the children of the corn. Right. Children of the corn. That's what it kind of looks like. They're all like possessed or weird or something. And then uh, I believe she runs back into the library, pushes an entire bookshelf on top of Janklo as she runs by. Yeah, he's having a bad day. One, he gets his hands all bloody, crushing that guy's skull. Then he gets bonked with a big book. Then she pushes a whole bookcase on top of him. For not really knowing what's going on, she has no problem hurting children very quickly. (laughs) She also is so far a character that is constantly having people attack her. And then having to find ways out. Like, of all the other characters in the show, none of them, none of the other ones have been really chased. Well, that's not entirely true. What's-his-name was pulled out of a car one time. No, that's true. But no, you're right. No one's really menaced like she is. She's always being menaced. But she is here able to get away, run down a hallway, and she locks herself in a, a some sort of map room, right? Yeah, she gets into the basement and hides in the classic map room. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is where she bumps into Jordan Peters, the the kid they originally thought might have the might be infected. Uh, I like that she sees this kid. Like we're talking like a fourteen year old, fifteen year old maybe. As soon as she sees him, she pulls her gun and jams it in his face. That's another thing they do in this show. Everyone is so trigger happy; they constantly pull their gun out at the smallest provocation. They just that gun's ready to go. The number of like under sixteen year old kids who a gun was like pointed at in this episode made me laugh every I've never seen a show so wildly point guns at children before and have children using guns it's true and have children using guns but what it turns out is uh Jordan Peters has been hiding in the map room because he wanted to skip the blood test because he didn't want to be caught for quote unquote dusting 
Yeah, he was uh, he was taking uh, aerosol cans of some sort and, and huffing them, right? That was the point, right? Yeah, yeah, those computer dusters you spray in, he's been huffing them to get high. <laughs> now, what did you think of that? Do you think that that holds together for his little, his plot? The reason he wasn't there was he was high and he thought that was going to get him kicked out of school? Sure, why not? He didn't want his blood tested, didn't want to get caught and uh, get in trouble. Anyways... You, you wouldn't you wouldn't have you wouldn't have done that you would have turned yourself in well i wouldn't have been dustin i was a good kid <laughs> at any rate they're kind of like clear this kid because obviously he's just been hiding for using uh, drugs question mark and like kavanaugh and a swat team bust into the room to like save her yeah like it was just weird kavanaugh just shows up for no reason out of nowhere when this when this sort of situation has resolved every time we sort of see him he's either having a conversation with caffrey or he's leading a team. But I never know where that team is in the other times. Like, he'll sort of just appear in scenes, and he's got these 10 other guys. I'm like, where were they five seconds ago? I know. He he always has a huge team of people who are always right behind him for some reason. Anyways, yeah, they're there to point guns at the kid, and they find out the kid lied. Yeah, and basically, it's been the it's been this Janklo kid all along, and he's been basically trying to use the library computers because they're the only ones with internet because he wants to send a mysterious mass email mm-hmm. and uh they basically get a call from lucas who uh i guess well we, we was an inter- they were integrating that pilot they cross-referenced the plane's passenger list finally and figured out one of the students at the school was on the plane right it took them way too long to look at that passenger list well they were too busy looking into people's accents as a way to uh, see if they were guilty or not instead of actually doing their proper research but since they know which 12 year old in the dorms was on that plane that entire SWAT team uh, old Kavanaugh has basically bust into that kid's room with automatic weapons drawn on on a kid who hasn't gone through puberty and (laughs) hold him at gunpoint until they figure out what's going on How, how would you best paraphrase what happened on that plane to that kid he was trying to access i think it was a movie or the internet or something right and he thought it was it wasn't working properly because he started seeing the pattern is is that that's what basically what he said yeah you're you're on the right track yeah he was trying to burn a cd for a friend while on the plane <laughs> okay all right yeah and uh the the pattern appeared and he assumed it was just spyware oh that's that right he froze up his spyware. computer yeah yeah right and when he got back to the dorm, he gathered all his friends around, including Jane Lowe and the janitor, because the janitor, they the kids love that janitor. Yeah. Well, everyone loves uh, uh, Jerry the janitor. If there's a chance, you know, to hang out with a bunch of 14-year-olds and look at stuff on the internet, Jerry's there. He's your pal, you know? Jerry, count Jerry. He's in. always like, hey, kids, do you want to see some cool websites that only adults go to? And they're like, sure, Jerry. Hey, kids, you want to see a dead body? <laughs> uh, but essentially... His computer was still making this noise and was uh, like frozen on this screen. So everyone kind of joined together trying to find a way to basically unfreeze his computer. But that is essentially how uh, the janitor and Janklo became infected with the signal. And then Janklo kind of went along and stole the computer. And he's now trying to take the signal off the computer as an audio file and then email it out to people. Yeah, so he could spread it like a virus. But here's my question for you, because we have now seen Janklo crush a man's head with his bare hands right yeah yeah and, and not wash his hands after right but he has just heard the signal much like our lead characters have so aren't only his theta waves infected how does he have a third helix you are absolutely right because there's a little bit of inconsistency as to how it affects people they do mention we're going to learn very 
not and not too uh, long from now that it doesn't affect children in the same way. So I think there is an implication that because he might be older, it has developed in him differently than some of the younger kids. But I don't think he actually is any older or younger than the other kids. Yeah, I mean, we get, we'll, we'll spoil it now, I guess, is um that's the big reveal of this episode is that what they find is if you haven't gone through puberty, the signal can't infect you. Yeah. Yeah, that, that it doesn't affect you in the same way because your mind or body or both haven't developed yet to be able to receive it. It's still developing. A very, very loosely sketched idea of why that would happen. But it still doesn't explain how he got a third. He, like the the very basic rule we got in that first episode has already been broken. Like how is he genetically changed? But the team is unless these kids are super strong and we just don't see it. Yeah, I, I guess so. Jerry definitely was. Well, that's it. Jerry definitely mutated. Yeah. So shouldn't all Lucas be mutating and smashing his wife's head or something? You would think. Maybe that's the big reveal is we haven't seen his wife yet because he's already killed her. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, uh, it becomes a race against time to stop Janklo from sending an email. Um, because if that signal gets on the internet, Jordan, it could reach 33% of users by morning. Yeah, is this the part where they reference Paris Hilton? Yeah, they got those numbers because they based it on the Paris Hilton sex tape. Yeah. It's such a dated, gross reference that I just was like, barf. And it's such a, a sad attempt to try to be like hip and, you know, on the moment. It was definitely like, it, it was like of its time. You're, you, as soon as they said that, you could really pick out the period of time the show existed. Yeah. Anyway, in this race against time, they head down to the underground maintenance tunnels Kavanaugh has been uh, getting a standoff with a bunch of 12-year-olds who are, like, toting automatic weapons. Yeah, it's a weird scene. Like, you have the kids on one side with a bunch of, like, machine guns, and you have the SWAT team that also have these, at worst, rifles and at best, like, machine guns, and they're sort of yelling at each other. And what you realize is the kids are saying they're not going to stand down because, um, what's uh, old Southern mutant boy's name? Uh, Janklo. Because Janklo has ordered them to do it. Then there's this whole thing about Kavanaugh's like, well, I outrank him, and that means I outrank you. And then it was this whole thing. I was like, uh. And then it ends with the most boring conclusion ever where they all just put their guns down. I wanted them to shoot those kids so badly. I did too. I I thought, you know what? You're going for it. Just do it. Have Kavanaugh have this moment where he has to shoot a bunch of kids. I was like, wow, that'd be something hard to come back from. Well, and they're already so reckless with how they like handle themselves that like it wouldn't have been outside of the scope of this show. And it, in fact, that reveal that it doesn't infect kids, it feels like this was an out so they could like avoid, like I was just like, just go for it, you guys. Kids can get infected. They're now like zombies. So it's like open season to kill a kid on TV. Yeah. Could you imagine how it would, <laughs> if they had had Kavanaugh just kill one of the kids and then he has to deal with that for the rest of the show? That's it. That's his new character arc. What a show this would be if that were the case. Yeah, but it's not. It's not that show. It felt like it walked right up to the line, but then like chickened out with this whole episode. And I was just like, guys, just go for it. Yeah. Anyway, Dr. Caffrey and I don't know, one of these nameless soldier guys that they're always with end up catching Janklo as he's trying to send the email in the library. And they like, Dr. Caffrey tries to talk him down. Like, you can't send that signal. Think about all this and that. And uh, I, what I like is Jankler turns around and is just like, what? No, it's super cool to be an alien hybrid. I'm definitely not doing what you're asking me to do. <laughs> I'm with him. And then at least at that point, someone finally shoots him. So, like, I actually got to at least see one kid get shot. Yeah. Well, that's what you always say on all these shows. You're hoping that kids get shot. Honestly, 
If, if more if more shows had kids getting shot, I'd be into it. But he's not killed. He's just shot and injured. Well, that's not entirely. They give us a bit of a cliffhanger because we see the kid get shot, and then we hard smash cut to JT sitting with Janklo's dad, yeah. telling his dad, telling this kid or this kid's dad that he's like, "Your son was killed in a mysterious school fire." Uh, sorry about that. Yeah, but they do show the kid later, and he's alive. I know. I mean, that was the. That was that was just I like this like scene where they hard cut to them lying to some kid's dad about that his son died. What what a bad gig uh, that JT has to have. He has to keep finding parents and and giving them more and more outlandish reasons as to why their kids are dead. Well, I like also he was at Threshold headquarters. They flew him into the military academy because nobody else wanted to give the bad news. I know that they couldn't have given that to old uh, 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 Data. He's got nothing to do. Oh yeah, Doctor Fenway was doing nothing. He's doing nothing this whole episode. But you're right. In, in reality. Mike, all the other alien, all the other people have been infected with that triple helix. The kid, Janklo, didn't die. They've caught him and sort of brought him back to uh, old uh, Threshold headquarters. And uh, they've apparently now got the Hannibal Lecter-style glass cells from Silence of the Lambs in their headquarters. Mm-hmm. And they have the kid there, and they're sort of like, they're trying to get him to talk, and he's just like, nah, I'm not going to do it. And so they're just like, well, I guess you'll stay in here forever. I will say they didn't kill a kid, but I did like the idea of them basically taking a teenager to a black site to be tortured indefinitely. <laughs> well, they're starting their rogues gallery. They're gonna have a whole bunch of them down there. It's like Batman going to Arkham Asylum. It's a whole. It's it's the creepy kid, and you'll have the janitor. You know, it is very much that whole set they've built for this. Like these glass enclosed cells is very much set up to be like. Oh, this is where we're going to hold all our baddies. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, that's it, man. That wraps up the episode. Yeah, it, it was a roller coaster. All right, well, let's keep going. Let's get into the next one and we can uh, break down these two episodes together afterward. Here is the IMDb summary for episode four, The Burning. I've got not one, but two surprises for you. This isn't Tate's blood. What? I checked his hospital records. Tate's blood type is AB negative. This is O positive. Surprise number two? I compared the sample against the one we found on the fence. It's the same. And it's mutated. Triple helix. We have another infectee on our hands. So Tate didn't break out alone. More likely someone else who was infected broke him out. Check the infected sample against the Bighorn crew manifest. What would one of the crew members be doing here with Tate? I have a feeling that'll be our third surprise. The team pursues an escaped mental patient whose room is filled with the drawings of the glass trees from Caffrey, Kavanaugh, and Peg's dream. And this, too, is courtesy of A.Nonymous. Oh, Adam, thanks for writing that once again. Now, you had read about this and talked about it in the last podcast episode, but in this episode, they actually start doing a full-on recap at the start. Like, it's a whole narration recapping what the show's about. Yeah, in the original airing of the show, everyone had a little recap. I guess the idea is that in case there's a new viewer, they're caught up and they're ready to go. Um, but it was taken off for the DVD. It is a little bit uh, obvious, but I mean, I, I get it. It's a show that has, it's very complicated. So if you're a viewer that's just tuning in, it would help. I mean, I always feel like when I see these things pop up, especially if they're midway through a season. So maybe you're, maybe you're right. Maybe they were always there when they aired. 
it's i was always seeing it on like episode four i'm like oh that's a bad sign like viewership must have been very unstable and like they're realizing like unless like we try to bring in new viewers by explaining this we're like we're in trouble i don't know if that would help that much because as soon as you start watching the show you're just like oh what what is this what is this show Well, this episode uh, opens this time in a cold open at the Bridgeview Psychiatric Hospital in Painesville, Ohio. Painesville, Ohio. Yep. Uh, where, <laughs> where the patient Richard Tate is missing, a security guard is having his head turned backwards, and an orderly is torn to pieces. Yeah, and uh, and the patients in the uh, in the psychiatric hospital they love it. This is the best entertainment they've ever had. They're having a great time. Oh, and uh, someone has melted a hole in an electric fence. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the the threshold team finds out about it from a quote nugget end quote that popped up in their quote data mining end quote. Yeah, that makes sense. They mentioned it, I think, an episode or two ago. Where they're like, "We're going to have to set up a bunch of data miners to stay on top of this." And I was like, "Well, I'm never going to hear about data mining again." They're really committed to data mining. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The the implication here is that they're constantly having some sort of online bot that is constantly looking for news stories or something that kind of pings and goes oh this might be connected to our uh sailors and and the boat right i believe so i believe that is that is the new tech they're trying to like work into the idea of the show anyway uh the missing man richard tate was committed to this hospital after he burnt his family to death in their home at 13 years old Mm mm-hmm uh, but in the last week in the hospital, he's been started talking about aliens and drawing the glass forest and had told a, another patient that aliens were coming to change them. And he had some unfinished business to take care of. And, and we get a bit of a trope here, which you see all the time uh, in TV and movies is anytime there's someone who's quote unquote crazy or unstable, they always do the same drawing over and over and over, which I always think is such an odd thing. It's like, what if they just did one drawing? But it's, it's always the, 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 the easy way to show the viewer that they're obsessed with something is they can't stop drawing it. I mean, you're right. It is, it is a classic trope that just like, how do, you, how do you know he's unstable? Look how many times he drew this stick man. Yeah, it's like, well, there must be something to that stick man. I'm like, what if you just practice makes perfect, you know? That's true. Practice does make perfect. Take that trope. Just ask us. We're on episode 96. <laughs> Still trying anyway they very quickly come to find out when they do a blood test on that melted uh that melted fence outside that it looks like one of the sailors from the bighorn who are fi- who i guess are back on the show now i guess he came broke into the mental asylum trying to get at uh, old richard tate yeah first they think that tate broke out and then the way they realize is i think they find some blood and it actually matches one of the bighorn sailors so they're like that's weird the guy broke him out what I like about this, though, is they need to get that blood tested and they send it back to uh, this, their their command center. And there's a new character, a lab technician who they go to talk to and who's running all the blood tests. She's just there doing this, this brand new character. After we were told last episode, they're not allowed to have any help. Well, and also what's weird about it is the real reason she's there is because um, Brent Spiner's character is on the ground and you'd assume he'd be the person probably running these tests as we've seen him in previous episodes he's sort of the everyman doctor depending on whatever the scene they need but because they have him on the on the ground they have to have another character who does it and i just thought that was funny that yeah there's this 
this other character that that keeps popping up now now let me ask you this do you think she's gonna be your consistent extra person like she's gonna become a team or it's just gonna be a random intern every time I, I kind of liked the actor they cast. Like, I thought she looked kind of cool. Uh, so I, I'd be fine if she came back. But uh, my guess is there's going to be new rules about how this works every episode. You're probably right. We can't have any assistance. It's all assistance this week. <laughs> well, maybe JT's lighting up. Although although he, he doesn't seem to. This poor character, all he does is yell and look constipated. That's, that's his character. He's never having a good day. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Maybe Ramsey won him over to get a, so hiring some help. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, uh, they cut away and we actually get to see this escapee Tate as he's uh, wandering into this apartment complex. And he he like knocks on a woman's door and kind of forces his way inside and essentially ties her up and starts like trying to smash through her uh, her floor. He's like digging something up. And there's two interesting things about the scene. One, the girl's wearing just her underwear, which she will wear for the entirety of the scene she's in and which raises I know, a right? question have you ever just answered the door in your underwear it was insane it was it was it felt gratuitous like they were walking like are they trying to be titillating or are they trying to like ratchet up the danger of a, of of a sexual assault like either way it was gross but more important uh just to me did you notice what she was watching on tv when the guy broke in no i missed it she was watching judge judy Oh, that's right. <laughs> and what I thought at that moment was, I wish I was watching Judge Judy instead of this. Much better show. <laughs> um, but yeah, what we kind of see is he's trying to dig up something under the floor. Uh, that sailor from the Bighorn, his name turns out to be Novak, has yeah, followed Novak. him there. And uh, while he's kind of doing that digging, he, he realizes he needs he needs some more help. This Tate, this uh, escaped patient. So he takes a quick break. Heads over to a construction site to, I guess, steal better digging tools. No, no, it. You know what it actually is. He gets her keys, and he he basically goes like, "You must have a shovel or a digging apparatus." And she's like, "I don't know." So he takes her keys and goes to her. That's her locker space, but it's in this weird warehouse sort of thing. I was like, well, "That doesn't make any sense." But that's it was her keys. That's how he got in. Well, that's what I thought too, because I I do remember him going there. He's like, I gotta go check your warehouse. But then, because what happens is. Kavanaugh gets a call and says a civilian has spotted him at a construction site and they basically swoop into this like weird. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's weird. It was this weird, like empty loft space and they arrest him basically. Like they capture him very quickly, but it wasn't because I also thought the same thing. I'm like, oh, she's going to her storage locker. And then next thing we know, she's at a construction site. Maybe we missed the scene where he went to the locker and found there wasn't anything. So then he went to the construction site. Oh, that must be it. Uh, anyway, now they've caught him, they test him, and they find out he has he, he he doesn't have the triple helix mutation, but he does have higher than normal theta waves, Jordan. <laughs> he does. Isn't that exciting? He is higher than normal. <laughs> um, so uh, the, the team starts investigating the death of his family in that burning house, and uh, what they kind of dig into is they discover, like, the dad died in the fire, the mom had killed herself before the fire, and that the dad had killed his brother. <laughs> before the fire and so uh the kid as a boy this tate when he was a 13 year old child kept saying how his family had changed before he lit the house on fire so they they dig up his mother's grave to uh, check out her body and uh when they open up that ca- coffin oh is she mutated yeah it's a it's a great reveal it's actually one of the things the show does real well they open it and you have this very bizarre looking uh skeleton that looks like 
what would they be the equivalent of like tumors but it's on bones so like the rib cage is really distorted and the face is uh, uh sort of bent out of out of proportion yeah like they say she's growing new teeth since she died yeah that's and that's the worst at any rate they finally get nate to explain what happened 26 years ago uh his his dad was digging a well out behind the house that's right they came across some sort of metal object i think they said it was like this uh copper colored football sized thing that keeps changing shape obviously very similar to what we seen in the previous episode of this uh star glass structure that keeps moving they don't know what it is so they bring it into the house because they're going to bring it to i think the uncle's house to uh, test on it but in the meantime it infects everyone and they all kind of go crazy yeah it mutates mom and dad they start trying to kill everybody as we know now, both the boys haven't gone through puberty, so they're safe. So he's okay. But essentially, Nate had to, like, burn his house down to kill his alien parents and stop them from escaping into the world. Um, and uh, we didn't kind of get this moment where they're like, oh, well, that's great. We're alien hunters. We believe you. We know you're not a crazy person. Now, why don't you tell us where this object that you... Because he's basically that object that he originally killed his parents over he took it when he was 13 buried it somewhere as we know probably under that woman's floorboards and they're like dr caffrey's like what tell us where it is we'll go get it and you know problem solved there's like an inexplicable moment here though where tate lies to them about where he hit it he lies to them what we find out like in a few scenes later is they're like why'd you lie and he's like because i didn't want anyone else to get hurt and i was like but you know that they're trying to stop people from getting hurt so why would you lie to them? Because the alien's going to get it. Like, it was one of those you're like... And it, it 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 was an odd turn for the character that didn't amount to anything because it didn't have any repercussions really anyway. Well, what it seemed to be is it was so Ramsey could look at all those drawings he drew of a house with two chimneys. Yeah. And then call Lucas and say, look at the building records for houses with two chimneys so they could figure out that condos had been built on top of it like it was like a side scene to give two characters who aren't in the episode something to do yeah and they're like chimneys two chimneys but yes they find out that where he was digging it's the wrong spot so there was somewhere else to go dig and that's where the stupid thing is they also figure out when they when they're like oh it's the place with the two chimneys under that condo and then they like flip open a file and they're like oh yeah that's the same place he was arrested 26 years ago and I was just like, you guys are the worst investigators. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the, uh, we go back to that lady's apartment. Old uh, Sailor Novak, the triple helix alien hybrid, I guess, is there. He's dug up the object from this lady's floor finally. He didn't need any special tools. <laughs> no, he just used and, it. He just used his fingers like a like a alien, I guess. Unfortunately for him, uh, the red team is arriving at the same time. They bust in. They save that lady. They start poking around the house, and uh, Dr. Caffrey hears a dog barking in the next room, uh, which I would like to She walks into the room. She just starts petting the dog. She's like, oh, good dog, good dog. I'm like, no, no, you got to look around the room. Don't you remember you're hunting a fugitive? <laughs> uh, Novak is in that room, obviously, but he doesn't attack her. He just kind of runs out of the bedroom, through the living room, past all of the agents, and then jumps out a window before getting shot several times by electric bullets. Yeah, they now have electric bullets. That was fun, right? Yeah, that was a nice little touch. But essentially, they catch him. They get the object. It's kind of problem solved. What, what they do is then, you know, you get a, a few other scenes of them, like, talking about the object and that they're going to have to 
investigate it and do some research on it and you know is it safe and blah 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 but um jt says uh, at one point because they're like where, where are we gonna put it and he's like we've made a new facility cell for it but where he where he says and they're like where is it and he goes it's a hundred miles from nowhere <laughs> i love that johnny cash song <laughs> well here here's what we learn about this uh mysterious object that uh old tate found 26 years ago it is like with the weird shifting things we've seen but when they do a quick uh carbon dating test on the ground where it was found turns out it's been buried there since 1879 jordan yeah, over 100 years meaning the aliens were here before and you know what else jordan What's that it changes the rules of the game <laughs> it does of course it does because because now Threshold has something the aliens want. Yeah, and I, I, if I said it once, I've said it a million times, Luke. The stakes have never been higher. <laughs> uh, I, I did like the final scene of it is they uh, they go talk to Tate now that they figured out he's not a crazy person. And they're like, Dr. Calvary's like, well, we're going to send you to a nicer hospital now um, because now we know you're not a schizophrenic. Uh, but you still have to live in a hospital and uh, you keep your mouth shut about aliens. You got it? And he's like, yeah, sounds like a plan. And I'm just like, you're just, you're just letting him go? All right, that's fine. And that's another episode. So after these two episodes, like, I, like you know, obviously there's problems, blah, blah, blah. But like, like one of the big key errors that I'm seeing on this show is like, probably the biggest problem I think this show has right now is it's it's the low return on investment. Each episode, you know, was kind of a standalone story. And the end of that story was a reveal about the overall mystery. First one being kids under 13 can't be infected. And then the next episode was like, get to the end of it. Aliens have been here since the 1800s. But it was just like, there's so much work to get to such a small reveal. And if you even think about it, like that last episode about a 13 year old who murdered his family to hide an object, you could have had them figure out kids who haven't gone through puberty can't be infected and the alien like you could have jammed all those revelations into a single episode like the revelations aren't big enough or there's not like more turns in an episode they like they just like give you just the smallest taste of the mystery at the end well it is interesting i, I would agree with you on that the show is doing a very interesting balancing act and it's not a good one it's that the show at all times is slightly underbaked in its ideas while simultaneously over-explained. So you get this weird mesh of the two, and the viewers just sort of left either, I think, feeling confused or bored. And it's kind of a shame because I think I said it in the previous episode, there's some interesting ideas here. They're just not fleshed out at all in any sort of interesting way. I wonder if they don't know more of where they're going with it, but they they just seem afraid. Like they're like, "Oh, we got to make sure this lasts eight seasons." Yeah, you might be so right. So they're like hiding so much of it from us. Like I'm just like, no, just pound us with like if you've got all this cool mythology, just hit us with it. That was a complaint both of us had when watching um, a show that came on after this, which was uh, Inhumans, and you know the show was so desperate to hold back everything that was cool and interesting until the second season but the problem is you're still making people watch this show and this is not quite the same but there is that same tendency to hold back information because they want to create this mythology but i don't think they're giving the viewer enough to hold on to yeah it's i think it's kind of trapped between like that kind of golden age serialization where it's fine you just like pile on the plot 
and then monster of the week x-files stuff like they they seem to want to have standalone episodes but then give you a taste of a of like the serialized bit but you only ever get it in that last five minutes yeah Yeah, it's just not like they're living between two worlds and it's not working for them also in terms of a structure i've noticed that every episode so far all of the action is contained in the last 10 minutes and then there's a resolve in the last five minutes so you almost don't need the first 50 minutes because the buildup is very little. So it's, and, and you could just really watch the last 10 minutes of the episode and really get caught up and go, oh, that's all I need. That is true. I, that's a lot like Almost Human. Remember how that episode show ended almost always with a gunfight in yeah. the last 10 minutes? Yeah, but you know what? I actually liked it in Almost Human better than I liked it on this. Well, this is definitely not at like, Almost Human had a little more polish than this does. I would agree, yeah. All right, what do you want to rate Blood of the Kids? As we talk about it, I think maybe... It's not as bad as when I watched it because I really didn't enjoy this. But I'm going to give it the score that I went with uh, before we started talking, which is 4 to 10. I did not like it. 4 to 10. I think, like, yeah, it's not a great episode at all. Like, it's it's like a really average episode of TV, I think. And Oh, I think it's less than average. Uh, I think it's pretty. I think, like, a, a, I think a 5 is right where this falls for me. Yeah. Like, there's some moments I like, some stuff I didn't like. I'm going to give it a slight edge. Because I liked how often they put guns at ki- pointed guns at kids, which is something I really enjoy. So I'm going to give it a 5.5. 5.5. Yeah, it was going to be a 3 for me, except for I like that when she went and got a coffee at the crime scene. So that got a point. <laughs> All right, and, and the burning. I felt the same about both these episodes. They had the same problems, the same things that worked. So I'm going to go with the exact same and give it also a 4 to 10. I, I agree. I feel like these were almost identical in their issues and why they didn't work. Uh, this one didn't have any guns pointed at kids, so I'm giving it a five. I'm giving it a five. Can we uh, check where we're at right now? I know we're not taking the uh, escape pod yet, but I'd, I'd be interested to see where we are right now. We got to be over five anyways on this. All right, Jordan. So I've punched us in to the uh, old continued right computer. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, at just... Slightly over a quarter way through the series, we are uh, averaging a series average of 5.31. Oh, yeah. We live to another day. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see another few episodes of this show. Now that, uh, that about wraps it up, I guess, mm-hmm. for the episode. So, uh, listener, if you've got anything you need to say to us about Threshold, do you want to email us an alien signal to affect our theta waves <laughs> and give us the triple helix? You can do that. No one's going to email about this show. You don't think they'll email us an alien signal? <laughs> no, I don't. Well, if you want to, you can. It's uh, continuedrag at gmail.com's that email. And uh, on Instagram and Twitter, we'll pull some clips from the show. Uh, definitely that dude's popping a zit in the mirror in the uh, yeah. f- fast food restroom. A lot of um, characters talking. There'll be a lot of gifs of just characters talking about things intensely. Hopefully, uh, hopefully a couple kids at gunpoint. <laughs> Kids at gunpoint, that nice skeleton with weird ribcage. But yeah, you'll find that uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Continuum Drag. But other than that, listener, thank you for joining us. That wraps up this episode. And uh, Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes, Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Jane McRae, and Stephen Packard. <laughs>